Hi, everyone. Um, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you are a God that loves justice and that loves um, relationships being restored. Um, help us as we look through the passage today. In your name we pray. Amen. So before I was a Christian, and kind of for a fair while after, I remember thinking the Bible was this old book full of weird sayings and strange poetry. And in some sense, I wasn't really wrong, because did you know, so fun fact, uh, about a third of your Bible is poetry. So if we're going to be people that ha live lives that are shaped by the Bible, we better learn to understand its poetry. And poetry draws all these connections from culture and from, um, I guess, the way the Hebrews would have thought then. So we need to, um, I guess, familiarize ourselves with what that's like. Uh, and so today I'm going to introduce one, I guess, tool, if you like, um, for us to help appreciate biblical poetry a little bit more, particularly poetry um, of the prophets, um, the major and minor prophets. Um, so. The title of this talk, which is not in your things, um, is the day of the Lord, which is a phrase the prophet Isaiah used um, to describe, well, what I'm going to describe now. Um, okay, so we're coming up on um, the end of the series in Micah, and if you've been following along, there's been a lot of doom and gloom. So Micah sees the injustice that's perpetrated by Israel's leaders, and he delivers this message of judgment to them. And... Um, the political leaders and re religious leaders who should be, by following God's law, um, guiding and shepherding the people, what they're doing instead is defrauding them of their inheritance, their land, and um, judging based on bribes and being corrupt as corrupt human societies are. And so um, I guess God is not very happy with this, unsurprisingly, and so Micah prophesies that um, Babylon, so I think in chapters 3 and 4, I should have my Bible open for this, hold on. Um, in chapters 3 and 4, um, Micah prophesies that a God will raise up a nation in the east called Babylon to come and destroy them, specifically for the injustices that they've perpetrated against the people. Um, and this divine judgment comes in the, this very natural form, this rise and fall of nations kind of thing, right? Um, think of any powerful civilization, Rome, Great Britain, the US, China. Um, and they start small and they're pushed around by the current world superpower of their time. And then they grow big and strong and they start to oppress other people and start to uh, conquer other nations. And that is just how human civilizations go. In the story of Batman, we say, um, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And so it's, it's just human nature to do this, right? Um, that's how civilizations work. And Micah is claiming this in particular, this particular instance where Babylon comes to destroy Israel is an instance of judgment from God. Um, and in the story of the Bible, as opposed to the story of Batman, we call this judgment, one way of looking at it, um, and one way of naming it, I guess, is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is this motif that shows up a lot in um, the story of the Bible and in the uh, poetry of the Bible, which shows up over and over and over again. 
Um, and it comes up in a lot of places, but I think the best place to see it is in the story of the Exodus, when uh, the Israelites leave Egypt. And this, uh, so it starts off with the Israelites living peacefully in Egypt, and then a new ruler, a new pharaoh, comes to power, right? And he says, um, wow, there's a, there's a lot of Hebrews living with us. Um, and he says, behold, the, this immigrant, large immigrant population to, um, in our country is a threat to national security. So the good and right thing to do is to enslave them and um, afflict them with hard labor uh, so that their influence is not so great on us. And so the Israelites get enslaved, and there's years and years of hard labor, and there's this genocide that happens with, um, with the male children. Um, and it is, the Israelites get really badly mistreated. And so God raises up a guy named Moses, who you might have heard of, uh, to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And every step of the way, Pharaoh opposes them, and God steps in and fights for the cause of the Israelites, who are the oppressed ones. He ends up unleashing all of these plagues and defeating Pharaoh's army, um, and the Israelites eventually leave Egypt. Right? So this story is this archetype of um, God acting to oppose the oppressor, to right injustice, and to deliver the innocent. And this, this kind of idea, these yeah, this kind of idea uh, that God fighting on behalf of the innocent is this idea behind the day of the Lord. And where does this nomenclature come from? Why, why do we call it the day of the Lord? Um, all the time in the Bible, um, even right as they're about to leave Egypt, actually, um, God says, remember this day. Remember this day I brought you out of Egypt. And many, many times afterwards, after the Israelites leave and they form their own nation and they've got their own country and stuff like that, Repeatedly, they say, remember the day that I brought your forefathers out of Egypt. So this is a, this is a big deal in the national identity of, of, of the Israelites. This is one of the sort of stories that the, I guess, that kind of defines what it means to be an Israelite. Um, so, so, in now fast forward a few hundred years, they've had their own country for a time. Um, you've got King Saul, you've got King David, they split, and there's a whole bunch of drama with um, the Israelites, the, the Israelites and their government structure. Um, and in the southern kingdom, you've got Micah, who is saying these things using the day of the Lord imagery that just got read out for us. So what is he trying to say? He says, this is the same story. You have these oppressed Israelites that God will fight on behalf of. Except who is the oppressor now is no longer Pharaoh and his army and the Egyptians, but rather the leaders of the Israelites themselves. So this warrior God who you remember as this great force that fought on your behalf, he is coming against you for the injustices that you've done against your people. That's what he's saying with this day of the Lord imagery. So let's keep this in mind as we dive in. Okay, so verse one sets the scene. It was, what misery is mine? I'm like one who gathers the summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There's no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. He's very disappointed, Micah is very disappointed with what Israelite society is like. What does he see? He sees, verse two, the godly have been swept from the land. In the ESV, it actually translates this, has, have perished from the land, which I think 
works a little bit better with the poetry. So, the godly have perished from the land. Not one upright man remains. All men lie in wait to shed blood. Each hunts his, each hunts his brother with a net. He sees that the relationships in society have broken down. And in verse 3, he points out why. So he zooms in on the leaders. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts, the judge accept, accepts bribes, and the powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. And I think we know of countries even now where to get anything done, you need to bribe the right people, and corruption is just the way, it's just the way life works, right? And this is what, this is what Micah is seeing here. Um, so, he's, uh, yeah, so, sorry. Um, so, in, he's been talking about this judgment coming from Babylon, and it does, in fact, come to pass. At about a hundred and something years after Micah dies, the Babylonians actually come and they destroy Jerusalem, they burn it to the ground, and they deport all of its people in, um, in, into exile. And so this is what you're expecting of God's judgment, right? This is what Micah said uh, God's judgment would be. So we get to verse 4. The best of them is like a briar, the, worst, uh, the most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen has come, the day God visits you. Okay, so he's talking about when the Babylonians come to smash Jerusalem, Right? Let's finish off that verse. Now is the time of their confusion. Then you go, hold on. Now. No, no, no. The Babylonians aren't going to get here for another 120 years or whatever. What is he talking about now? He's using this imagery of invading armies to convey the message of judgment. Judgment is coming. But what is this judgment? It's not the Babylonians. That's going to come soon. What is it now? He's talking about something that is coming and is already here. He says this, now is the time of your confusion. So let's, let's keep reading. Verse five, do not trust a neighbor, put no confidence in a friend. Even with her who lies in your embrace, be careful of your words. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are of his own household. The judgment, so, Micah's describing that judgment has already arrived. This is in the form of not being able to trust in the relationships that you have. Your family and those closest to you, you should be able to trust these people. And yet they can't. This is God's judgment to them now. There is a judgment now, and there is one coming soon. Um, it's a... It's a I think there are uh, a lot of stories that have come out of um, communist revolutions um, in China and Russia where nobody can trust anybody else uh, for fear of getting reported to the government, for being not uh, aligned to the ideology as well as they could, right? And it's this kind of distrust of everybody. Can, can you even trust your family members that he's talking about here? And this is the judgment that has been placed on them. And it's worth stopping about. It's, it's worth, worth. It's worth stopping and um, thinking about it here. That what kind of judgment is this? 
is this just a isn't this just a natural consequence of living in a society that's gotten used to corruption and gotten used to bribery and gotten used to um, those in power defrauding those without? Or is this a case of God's directed, purposeful judgment on his people? The biblical authors um, seem to be very happy to live in that tension of, well, it's both, and it's both. It's one, one event or one thing, and you can see it two different ways. And it feels, feels a little dis uncomfortable for us to say that it is both directed wrath but also natural consequence. But it seems to be what the biblical authors think. Okay, so moving on. Um, verse 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I will wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. And verse 7 is the turning point in this poem. Everything before has been about stuff that the Israelite society have been doing to each other. Um, and we see that it results in injustice and suffering. And the turning point here is when Micah says, but for me, I wait, watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. He's putting his hope in the Lord. And in particular, as we'll see very soon, the day of the Lord. Um, so, oh, I forgot to time this. Okay, whatever. Um, the, the verse 7 is kind of a response to verse 1. In verse 1, he's saying how disappointed he is in society. And in verse 7, his response to being so disappointed is to put his hope in the Lord. What does that look like and why? And what even does that mean? Let's read on. So um, the second half, as a, okay, in contrast to the first half, which was about people doing things and relationships being broken and injustice being done, the second half is about justice being done, relationships being restored, and not people doing things, but rather God doing things. So how, how does all this happen? Um, let's read verse 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Until he pleads my case and establishes my right. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. So in verse 8 and 9... Um, there is a restoration of relationship between him and God. And um, what's interesting to note is that he's not actually doing very much. He is, uh, if you look at the verbs that Micah is uh, doing, he has, I guess he has fallen, um, but he sits and then um, he bears the Lord's wrath and he sees so he's very passive, and all of the active verbs are of God doing things. God pleads his case, establishes his right, and brings Micah out into the light. And so this reinforces this idea that God, people doing things, um, I guess not according to God's way, results in injustice and suffering, whereas people doing things God's way, or God himself doing things his own way, 
results in relationships being restored and justice being done. Verse 10, um, then my enemy will see it, it being his righteousness, and be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. And even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. Um, So it broadens out from this relationship between Micah and uh, God to the relationship between Micah, God, and the rest of society who have scorned Micah um, when he says that he trusts in God. I think this is maybe maybe relatable to to you guys as well, um, and us, you guys, us, um, that when you choose to put your faith in God um, in a very kind of unlikely scenario, in something that the rest of society doesn't understand, there is sometimes scorn as a response. When you suffer, but yet put your hope in the Lord, people will ask you, how can you believe in God in a time like this? Where is your God now? And Micah puts his hope in the day that he will be proved right to have trusted in the Lord. Then we hit verses 11 and 12. So we're talking about restoring relationships, restoring righteousness, and then the day for building your walls will come, the day for extending your boundaries. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. I thought we were talking about injustice and relationships and suffering and and all that kind of stuff. What is this day of building cities? Well, we are talking about injustice, and we are talking about righteousness. In the imagery of the day of the Lord, remember this day of the Lord imagery is about God fighting injustice, bringing down the oppressor on behalf of the oppressed. And so he's using this imagery of this final, he's looking forward to this final day where we know that Jesus will come and right right wrongs and establish peace on earth. He doesn't know about Jesus, but he's still looking forward to this final day where God will come, and this final day of the Lord where God will come to right injustice. Sorry. So there's a... um, There seems to be many days of the Lord, but also one day of the Lord, right? Is the day of the Lord when he brings the Israelites out of Egypt? Or is the day of the Lord when, at the very end of whenever, where he comes to bring justice to the world? Or is it here, now, what he's describing when Babylon comes to destroy Jerusalem? Which one is it? Or could it be one of many other times where God brings his judgment on Israel. Which one is it? Well, it's all of them, and it's also the last one. Um, All of these little days of the Lord are shadows of this final day of the Lord where justice will be made global, universal, um, and relationship and peace will be restored on a global and universal scale. 
verse 13. So we've been, we've been talking about this tension between um, natural consequence and divine judgment. And it's tempting to just see Babylon coming to conquer Israel as just naturally, that's just what happens. The country next door gets really big and powerful and they come and invade and conquer you. And verse 13 is a reminder that this can also be used for divine judgment. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as a result of their deeds. And it's this as a result of their deeds um, that's important here. Um, On a global scale, we are all culpable um, to this justice that is coming under the day of the Lord. Um, Okay, so I've said the word day and I've said Lord and injustice a whole lot of times. In summary, this motif of the day of the Lord shows up a lot in poetry. It is when God opposes the oppressor, writes injustice, and fights on behalf of the innocent. And it shows up, well, a lot. And I hope you guys um, look through your Bibles. Uh, when, whenever you see poetry, uh, look out for this day of the Lord imagery. Um, it shows up a lot. If you, if you flick through Micah again, it shows up a lot in Micah 3, a lot in Micah 4, a lot in Micah 5. A um, couple, couple references to um, leaving Egypt. Um, so I, I really hope that this little walkthrough has enriched your experience um, or enriches your future experiences of reading the Bible. And the second thing is um, I hope that um, you remember this poem when you're disappointed, like Micah was in verse 1. His response was um, to wait and hope in the Lord. Um, when, like Micah, you're maybe disappointed in society in the way that slavery and war is being conducted in the world, or maybe the um, political games and backstabbing that happens in governments, perhaps governments like ours, or maybe your personal relationships are not as full and restored as they could be because of the way we treat each other. Um, When you are disappointed, um, I encourage you to remember this poem um, and Micah's response, which was to wait and hope in the day of the Lord.